Ben Harbor, Michigan is a unique place on the lake that is home to less than 10,000 people with the hearts of one million. From the outside looking in, there's a strong emphasis on place, the location, and easy access to I-94. But this series focuses on the people and their view of leadership, influence, and power, and how it impacts the 49022. So welcome to another another episode of this special series where we are highlighting the stories and people of Ben Harbor surrounding leadership, influence, and power. And we're talking to Ms. Bertha King today. Uh, we're, so we're wrapping it up today with a few of our conversations that Ms. Bertha has had. Um, if you haven't already, go and listen to the other segments that we have done surrounding the stories and listen to some of the stories that um, Ms. Bertha has collected as well. So, but today, Ms. Bertha, we're talking, um, we're going to focus on two of the people that you talked to. And the first one we're going to, um, I guess, listen to is Mr. Dupree. So why did you decide to talk to Mr. Dupree? Well, one reason was that Joe Dupree is a young man and in my mindset who has been a great influence to a number of people in Benton Harbor, primarily because he works at the Department of Human Services and he's over security there and he greets a lot of people. He knows a lot of individuals and their needs. And for that reason, I wanted to just emphasize to people that there are so many people in the community who are not up front, but they hold everybody else up from the background. And Joe is one of those people who would do anything for anybody. He helps his neighbors. He, he, you know, he helps his friends. Uh, he has a strong belief in family. And I love that about him. Nice. So I know the first thing that we wanted to listen to when it comes to um, the conversation that you had with Joe, he talks about community influence. Before we listen to it, um, what does community influence even look like for you? Community influence to me uh, means that people walk in calling you know, whatever you say you believe in, whoever you say you respect, whoever you believe uh, is important to your life, you want to pour into those individuals some positives that will help their lives to be better. And to me, those who are community influencers do just that. And it's not about you singularly making a difference, but it's a collective mindset of together we can impact uh, the needs of this community and to be able to enjoy the successes that ought to be forthcoming from us working together. Mm. 
So let's hear from Mr. Joe and see what he has to say about okay. community influence. Okay, when you think of our community and the influence it says here um, in Benton Harbor, for example, what does that look like to you when you think of people influencing other people? What does it look like? Do you know some people who who know how to influence people to do what they need to do? Yes, I do, but uh, they don't want to listen. They, they be off into their own thing and they figure if it's not directly involving them, they don't worry about it. They need to start with uh our city hall down there um you know they they got they need to put people in there that want to do their job i mean everybody want to shift their job off on somebody else point the fingers instead of getting it done um they um they just need to um, they just need to, to get the right people in office that or listen to the or listen to the complaints of the citizens and because they have they do have valid complaints uh, but it's like they act on what they want to act on and, and then they don't worry about the rest until they get a lot of flack from someone else on it do you see any particular person uh, in the local government who really cares about the people and really has a lot of influence with the citizens? Um, I know, I do, but I don't know their names. I mean, I just see them because mm -hmm. um, a lot of times um, the things they have going on and I'm in St. Joe Township, so I don't get involved in Cause I can't, I mean, you know, um, they, I can't fold on a lot of stuff that they be doing because I'm not there. <laughs> he was, <laughs> he was ready to go there about the city hall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Cause myself even being to, to a few meetings and just seeing how some things go down. I'm like, Oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> right. You're right. You're right. Um, but he made, he said something about he doesn't know them by name. And that also goes to what you said from the very beginning, that there are a lot of people doing things behind the scenes that they may not get the recognition or you don't even know that they've been instrumental in change. And, but you said that he's one of those people that's constantly working behind the scenes as well. So how do, how do we even... I guess, bring light to what these people are doing? Or do some of these people just prefer to be out of the limelight? Well, a number of people have said that to me. I, I have no desire, they say, to be out front. I know how to stay in my lane mm -hmm. and do what I need to do uh, to stay focused on the on the issues and the task, but they're also saying that they're willing to support those who are out front. Yeah. They're willing to push them 
to the greatness that they deserve. However, sometimes when we finally get where, as leaders, when we finally get where we think we should be, we forget to reach back and embrace the people that helped us to get where we are. Mm. Mm. <laughs> you know, and, and maybe it's not even, maybe, maybe, Ronika, it's not even about forgetting. It's because we get so caught up in the, um, the task, get so caught up in the, uh, the limelight that we, that we just don't take the time to, to come back to the people and say, now, now, what do you think is working? What do you think is not working? What solutions do you have in mind? And maybe we can put the best ones forward and try to keep this movement going uh, in order to get our needs met in our community. Mm-hmm. Now, I know further on in the conversation, he, he talks about um, the demonstration of strong leadership. So I want to quick listen to that clip and then um, hear what you have to say about it. Okay. Okay. Um, has there ever been a time that you can remember that you saw somebody really demonstrate their leadership. And it really felt good to see somebody doing what they said they would do. Well, um, it's, it's been a while. It's kind of hard to remember. Okay. Well, let's even look nationally. They can be alive or dead, but who do who do you know that really demonstrated strong leadership for this country or in this community? Yeah, that was uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. Okay, uh, he was he fought for the civil rights. Um, he had a lot of people backing him. Um, <laughs> Uh, Rosa Parks, she, you know, she got us to tell where we can have the right to vote because they didn't want so they didn't want black people voting and stuff and and I, I thank God for them because they paved the way for us to be able to exercise those rights. He said it's been so long that he can't remember. Strong leadership in this community? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. What do you have to say about that, Ms. Bertha? Like, is there is there a lack of strong leadership, or if there is, who are the leaders? Like, do we need to point them out? I just nobody. Well, I think listening uh, to Joe share his thoughts, um, 
I'm mindful of the fact that there are some, some great leaders in the city of Benton Harbor. The problem is, is that we sometimes get so territorial mm-hmm. and this is my role, my thing, mm-hmm. uh, my idea, uh, instead of everybody coming together and saying, you know what, we have decided that we're going to be on one accord because the issues in this city are bigger than any one person. This is about us standing together for once in our lifetime to see that some things get done. And I think that would lend greater credibility to leaders who are trying to do some things. Uh, But it seems like it's so fragmented. Uh, somebody doing something over here, somebody doing something over there, somebody <laughs> over here. And it's like a us against them or me against you instead of a we. Yeah. Uh, minus minus the, the negative forces uh, in order to get some things done. I would love to see a day when the leaders... Um, are sitting down together with a smile on their face saying, you know what? We represent all of you. We've heard what you said. Mm -hmm. And these are the, the, the ideas that we've uh, been able to, um, you know, to culminate from our conversations. And this is what we're going to do about it. Uh, and not not one person sitting off saying, "No, that don't make sense. That don't make sense." You know, yeah. it's it's. I'm not a part of that group. No, you are a part of the group. If you're an elected <laughs> official, you're a part of the group, and everybody ought to have a common purpose, a common sense of what is right. No mayor can do what. Um, citizens expect without the cooperation of the entire body. Nobody can do what they need to do unless they've got a strong mayor. I think the people are in place who can do what needs to be done, but everybody needs to stop the territorial thinking of, of who belongs where and what should be garnered for their section and look at the whole city and what we all can do collectively. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the mayor is only one person and they want him to do the, the work of 15. And it's like, no, it's really a, it's a, it's a team effort. Like really think of it as a team. Like we were all working together for the greater good, but you did ask him, or you talked a little bit about with Mr. Joe about what he can do to make the community better. So let's hear from him and see what he has to say. All in my family, I have to uh, have to do it. Joe, what do you believe you can do in your community besides what you're already doing 
to make things better for the community? Uh, just try to keep, keep uh, continue to encourage these people to, to follow these guidelines that, uh, that they have out um, <laughs> to keep us safe. Um, and even though I still get a lot of um, back talk because out about it, um, they just need to realize that uh, it's serious. This is real. Mm-hmm. And it don't take don't it don't matter how old you are, uh, how young you are, it's serious. Mm-hmm. And they need to they need to take it serious. So all I can do is to encourage them uh, to do what needs to be done. And and you know what? That's very true. That that's all you can do is you know that old saying: you can take a horse to the water, you can't make but you can't make them drink. And that's that's the reality, and sometimes when we just say one person, you know, out of everything that we try to do, uh, that's important. That's huge for me because people are always saying, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do to give back? What can I do to help? What can I do? And it's almost like, do you, are you ready for the work that it's going to take? To make the change. Are you ready? And he was just saying, you know, I'm just going to, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to have people follow this, follow this, follow this. I know it's a part of my job. Um, and they're in place. These guidelines are in place for a reason. And, but that's, that's really a heavy question to to answer or just even think about because it's like one on the other side of that is work now my question is do you think that we're capable of getting there if does it really take everyone it's everyone and i do mean everyone everyone or or is it going to be a situation where one bad apple will ruin the whole bunch you know, that's that's a, a difficult question in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, some may say it's easy, but if it was, we would have a great country. We'd have a great <laughs> community. You know, it, 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 it comes down to all of us ought to be known as life touchers. Mm-hmm. We ought to be able to touch lives one at a time. And we have no control over what others do, what they say, or how they treat us. But if we do what we need to do, singularly, the hope is that others will join. It's like each one teach one, each mm-hmm. one reach one, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and if you do your part, Uh, I think you will make connections along the way that will hopefully branch out into a greater networking uh, of people who want to have that same mindset. And I think any community that is boasting of, you know, success and caring, compassion, Um, of support 
it's because people have that mindset of I'm going to touch lives. And not only am I going to touch, but I'm going to give whatever is necessary in order to support what others are doing. And when they see and when they um, are impacted, they'll want to give back as well. Um, I, I'm looking on the news and I'm seeing young children in neighborhoods who are saying to their parents, mom, this street needs to be repaired and nobody's doing anything. And I saw this young boy get his buckets and stuff and go out there and he's working. And then other people started to see mm -hmm. that he was trying to fix the roads just by himself. When you see little kids say, I see people starving. I want to, I want to fix some Kool-Aid or some lemonade and we can sell it and we can help the kids. I want to start a toy drive for little kids who look like they don't have anything or those who are sick in hospitals and need help. When you see kids have that driving inspired motivation to do something, it ought to drive us to shame as mm -hmm. adults. <laughs> so that we get up and say, no, I'm not going to make a difference. I'm going to be the difference because I'm going to take what I have from where I am and I'm going to stand on faith that more than just myself will step out mm. and do what we know needs to be done. So that's a great segue when we talk about hope. Um, Brother Joe talks a little bit about the greatest hope for the community. So let's quick listen to that. Okay. That they follow these guidelines and, and stay safe and um, not expose their children to um, this, this covert, try to keep them safe. Uh, which I know is hard because it's hard trying to get them to do what they're supposed to do mm -hmm. because they, well, why I got to stand out? Why come I can't go here and go there? Well, you don't know where these people been. You know, you don't know where they've been. You don't know where your friends been or where their parents been. Um, some people still travel. Why? I don't know. But, um, you know, and they can easily bring that stuff back. Yes. You know, they take vacations, go all down in Florida and all them places, and they come back. And next thing you know, the virus didn't follow them. <laughs> but, uh, so I just hope that my children and everybody's children uh, do what they can to stay safe and uh, be more courteous to others. We can talk about this virus and and I and I know that's been even since we've been a part of the influencers group too since March and 
just working with teenagers and really trying to emphasize to them, like, listen, this virus does not go by name, gender, race. I mean, it's attacking everybody. So you have to stay safe. And I'm just like, as a community, what can we do to reach the teenagers? That's what I keep saying to myself. That's what I keep saying. But it's almost like you have to go to the parents. The, the, they have to be in the home teaching them first before, because we only see them for a couple hours a day, maybe. But in the home and... I feel like we've talked about this before, but I, I guess I want to go there just before we um, wrap up his interview is the importance of instilling hope in the home first. Do you have any tips or anything for it? Because that's where it's going to start in order for us to have some change as well. You're absolutely right. It has to begin in the home and parents have to instill in their children that I love you enough to have you be safe. I love you enough to not want us to have to visit a funeral home mm -hmm. or a hospital. I love you enough to be with you during this time. And if I can't be there, I want to make sure you're with somebody who can safely meet your needs while I'm away because we're looking at the future yeah. beyond this COVID yeah. <laughs> situation. And you know what? The reality is a lot of people are not going to listen. Parents are going to be grumbling <laughs> and their kids in turn will grumble and they'll do what they have to do. But for those who really just don't care to listen, I'm sorry. We have to stay away from them. We have to, we have to teach our kids how to be safe. And we've got to put rules down and say, you know what? We're, we're just not going to go there. We're, we're planning to live, not planning to die. Mm -hmm. And and, you know, and this is not, this is Russian roulette people are playing. <laughs> you know, I may get it and I may not get it. Well, I don't want to be in that game. I want to be in the game that say, I plan not to get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, and so it does mean that parents have to take the first uh, line of defense in meeting this challenge with with COVID because too many people have died. Too many people are dealing with the after effects of the virus. And uh, while we have time, we've got to do what we need to do. Ooh. So that wraps up our conversation that you had with, um, with Mr. Joe. So now we're going to head over to <laughs> Mrs. Moonland. <laughs> so tell, tell me why 
you decided to have this conversation with Mrs. Moon? Oh, well, first of all, Dorothy Moon is one of the best nurses of any race uh, in, in this area. Uh, she retired after 41 years or so from Lakeland. And she touched so many lives of nurses and uh, staff members. And I tell you, you name it, mm -hmm. in the city of Benton Harbor, Anybody who couldn't figure out what to do. I was a patient at Lakeland a number of times. And if they couldn't get your blood, they couldn't do a number of things. They call her as supervisor down and she could go right to the source and make, you know, help you to, to get your needs met. I tell you, I didn't hesitate. The other reason that I wanted to interview her is she lost the majority of her family to cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, I just look at the extraordinary courage that she's displayed because she too is a cancer survivor, breast cancer survivor and freely tells people that, you know, what they need to do in order to, to stay healthy and to, uh, prevent the disease if possible. Uh, and so I wanted to make sure she was a part of the conversation. She's also a co-founder with me of Strong Women of Faith Breast Cancer Support Group, which we started almost 20 years ago mm -hmm. here in the city of Benton Harbor. At that time, there was nothing in the city related to African-American women of color. And uh, we started that group as a small support poor group and we've actually grown and our focus now is not just on breast cancer but we had so many people with every other kind of cancer who mm -hmm. wanted to be a part of our group until at some point we need to take a look at our name <laughs> <laughs> because we say strong women of faith breast cancer support group but we really uh, help women, support them, and encourage them with all types of cancer. Now, I don't know if many people know this story. I have a special connection with Miss Moon because um, um, I know my mom has been active in strong women of faith. Like even when I was in college, that's all I heard about. It was just like, oh my gosh, she's active and she's getting out here. This is great. <laughs> so when I, um, Miss Moon and I were going to the same church and then I went away to college. And when I came back, it was during the recession and no job in sight. came back home. I'm just. I'm sitting here like I have to do something. But while I was in college as my little side job, I was um, a certified nurse's aide. <sighs> so my mom said, um, well, you know, try to do that at the hospital. I, I applied. I didn't get any, any response. 
my mom made a phone call to Miss Moon and she said, oh, I'm on it. Next thing you know, I had an interview <laughs> and then I killed the interview. So I had a job, but my whole thinking was Miss Moon used her influence, but yes. her name was on the line. So therefore my parents always said, listen, if you don't have anything else, you have your good word, you got your name. But I wanted to do her, I mean, that's what I thought about oftentimes going in there. Like this woman, she didn't, I mean, she knew my mom, but she didn't really know me that she, she extended that, that grace for me to say like, okay, I'm going to put myself out there. We're going to give her a chance. And it was like five star here, five star here, five star here. And I was, and I kept doing it just like someone did that for me. How could I not provide or show up or accept overtime? Because she didn't have to do that. She didn't. And I wonder if she even remembers that. But I want when she does listen to this, I want to tell her again, thank you, because those were some great connections that I made while I was working there. And while I was working there, they also encouraged me to go back to grad school, which caused me to move away again. And it's been I just say a beautiful journey ever since then. So, but if she wouldn't have said something, um, I think the outcome would have been much different. So thank you for that, Miss Moon. But she also talked about why she, I know in the very beginning, she talked about that she wanted to participate because you influence her, like you inspire her. And I thought that was the cutest thing because I'm like, I just love when, especially when I see women and just saying like, no, no, you inspire me. You No, you inspire me. And it's like, <laughs> you guys both inspire me. But she talks about one of her greatest influences being her mother. Mm -hmm. And so I want to hear what she has to say about that. Done it on my own. I grew up in a family where my mom raised six of us. My dad died when I was eight. My mom raised six children. And that's not an easy task. She was a, she was a maid for the late Judge Burns. And she worked six hours a day, 10 days. She worked 10 hours a day, six days a week. And I tell people, in all honesty, everything I am I ever hope to be is because of my God and my mother. Because she was the greatest and she was my best friend. But she was the greatest influence in my life. Wow, what a testimony. What a testimony. Did you have any other nurses in your family besides yourself? No. Okay. Now, Daddy, we've talked often about um, how cancer has ravaged your family. Can you share some of your information, if you don't mind? Oh, sure. My mom died at 57. My What really got me on uh, my, my uh, sister was two years younger than myself. She died at 42. She was a breast cancer, had both breasts removed. And then my sister, who's like three years older than me, she died at 62. And my, my baby sister was diagnosed when she was in her late 50s. And it's not right, she was in her, yeah, she was in her late 50s. And then she, she had one breast removed. And almost 10 years to the date, the cancer came back in the other breast. And now she's had both breasts removed and she survived. I was diagnosed in August 1996, so it's been 24 years now, and I'm, I'm still alive. So 
I, I know that I'm here by God's grace and because there's work for me to do. But I, I just want to tell women, there is life after breast cancer. You can live, but, the, but we've got to catch it early. My sister is alive today because her cancer was caught. Because I was so on top of it when my when my young when my younger sister died and she was forty two years old and left two children. And I that's just and my mom was fifty seven, but she had all of us. We had had six children. But when my sister died, I was hurt when my my mother died. But man, I never heard like that. When my sister told told me that she had breast cancer, I was just devastated. Because we always talked about we were going to raise our children together, and she just was diagnosed and, and dead less than a year because it was so aggressive. Mm -hmm. It was just, she didn't live 18 months after she was, she was diagnosed. Wow. So I, I, I kept it plain because I wanted her to, to segue into that, but oh my goodness. Whew. Um, Gosh, I want to ask when it comes to um, even strong women of faith. Um, and because uh, I, I feel like all of us have someone in our life that has um, battled with breast cancer. Um, So tell me just the why. The I know you talked about, you know, you, there was no group in this area like it. But what was the motivation that both of you said, like, that one day, you would have said, no, we have to do this? Like, was there a moment in time that it's just like, no, we keep talking about it, but we have to do it? Because I feel like even hearing these stories of back-to-back -back losing people, um, from cancer would be the driving force for me. But what was that for, for the both of you to even start Strong Women of Faith? Well, because I was aware of it as a former diversity specialist for Memorial Hospital in South Bend, we helped to create a group. Uh, I worked with oncologists and uh, some of the breast cancer um, researchers to help create a group called African-American Women in Touch in mm -hmm. South Bend, Indiana. So it wasn't a lack of knowledge of what to do because we'd already done it. Mm -hmm. But I kept getting back to the point in Benton Harbor that there was nothing, although I took people from Benton Harbor, women, 40 plus or more women to events in South Bend. Uh, but we didn't have anything here. So I, I just kept feeling because I was coming through a life and death situation and God had allowed me to live through it when the odds were against me. And so I made a decision that it's, it's going to be now or never. I've got to give back for what God did for me. Mm -hmm. He allowed me to still be here. And if I'm ever going to do something, I've got to do this. Because one of, the, one of the, the wake up calls for me came through just a spiritual insight. You're living 
because God let you live and because he let you live, you, you, you're living because you have to, uh, I have to pour into the lives of other people mm-hmm. who were not as blessed uh, and who needed to be blessed. And so I call the American Cancer Society in Kalamazoo. And I said to them, I want to create a group and I need some information, you know, on who and what in the area is available to make it happen. At the same time, without my knowing it, the American Cancer Society representative said a lady by the name of Dottie Moon had <laughs> and said that she wanted to wanted information. Uh, and she said, I need to put the two of you together. And actually, we knew each other, mm-hmm. you know, not really well, well, but I knew her as a nursing professional that had helped me in the hospital and so on. And uh, she knew of me. So when we got together, we we decided to have a meeting. And mm-hmm. so we scheduled the meeting. And then we pulled maybe four or five women together. And it just started to grow. You know, little by little, we started <laughs> to get more women who were interested. And then I learned a lesson that I told them that I'd learned in South Bend from starting the memorial a group. Uh, the African-American woman in touch. And that is you limit your audience, unfortunately, when you try to hold meetings within churches because people get denominational and allow all that to get in the way of what you're trying to accomplish. So we really need to get into a place Mm -hmm. or meetings so that it's a neutral ground for women to come. And from that that point on, uh, we were able to just reach so many women. And that's why I thank God for Wanda Carwell too, who was one of the managers at Harbor Point uh, to one and two. And Wanda allowed us to meet there uh, monthly and we've been there for my God, I think over 10, 12 years or more out of the 20. But uh, you know, that that's kind of how we got off the ground and why we're still on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And, and and let me add this: we are above ground. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Oh, gosh, she, when I just hear of influence, I think about just the abundance of stories, because even you see that I share my story of how Miss Moon used her influence for me, but she talks about the greatest teacher influence to her. So I want to hear that, and then we'll come right back. Because I don't have a uniform, I still deserve the same respect that you. I mean, hey, hey, uh, if if I sat down next next to to Amanda Trump, if, you, if I sat down next to her and you didn't know, I mean, hey, she's just a woman and I'm just a woman. 
but you don't see us the same because we're not. Because you see a white woman and a black woman. What do you see as the main problems in the city of Benton Harbor and in our surrounding communities that are attached to Benton Harbor? It's, uh, it's blatant racism. It's racism. And it's not, this is not new. I mean, this is not new. This is something we've lived with all our lives. I mean, that's something you get up every day. I had a professor tell me when I was in graduate school in, in the nurse practitioner room, how does it feel being the only black student? And I said, I don't get up every morning, look in the mirror and say, oh, I'm black, I gotta go to class. It's just silly. <laughs> All I wanna do is go to class and, and take the classes and, and pass and do my best and be the best nurse or practitioner I can be. I don't, the, the color has nothing to do with it. I don't know, I, just, I don't know my people. They just, I don't know, it's sad. This country is in sad shape. <laughs> We're in trouble. What What is your greatest hope for your children? That they can, uh, just like Martin Luther King said, and here we are almost uh, 70 years later. Uh, I want my grandson to be judged by his character, not by the color of his skin, by the, by the content of his character. My son, who's a computer engineer, I, I, I mean, works for Microsoft. I don't want to see him as a, a as a, a, here comes a black, and he said, it's just as hard being at the top as it, yeah, hey, it's, it's, it's hard because it's people that no matter what kind of degree you have, they just won't see you as an equal human being. You, I, it's so hard to tell somebody every day that you got to prove yourself to everybody around you. That's wrong. And we do this every day. You go out in the public and, you, and you're and you a professional. I did it every day for 45 years. You've got, and my mom said, you can't just be mediocre. You got to be the best. But now, I, I, I mean, when, I, when you look at, and they say, oh, well, yeah, she came through because they had affirmative action. It, affirmative action just leveled the playing field. But what about the people that went? When you look at people like, like um, I'm trying to think of. Uh, Bush and people like that, and they say they went to to a, a, a college like Yale or Princeton, wherever they went. And you think, my God, did he go to college at all? He certainly didn't learn a lot. But then there's Obama that was 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 a Yale graduate, and probably one of the most articulate presidents we've ever had. But they didn't like him. It wasn't about what he was; it was about what he wasn't. He wasn't white. You can't, you can't, we can't, well, I don't know if we'll ever overcome that. What do you, what do you think about? When she said, I don't wake up, look in the mirror and say, I'm black, I'll go to, <laughs> I guess I'll go to class today. To hear that we're not that far removed from that same behavior is, as she said, I don't know if we'll ever overcome, but I feel like there's still a piece of hope there, even with her saying that, even for a lot of us, like there's still hope for change. There's still hope for change. Because it was so much that she said within that last minute and a half, I think we played of, of that. I mean, talking about, you know, the influence and just being in school and, and possibly being the only black. And 
just from the hope of the community and when we talk about character versus race. How do we how do we get to a place of character over race? Because even for my generation, it's still we're still dealing with that. We're still dealing with that. We're told to go and get the, the education and do all of these great things and still be offered mediocre pay. Well, I tell you, they've written many books about how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and it hasn't come through yet. Um, you know, and I think that's the saddest thing. I know of a professional person who worked really, really hard and was considered one of the best of her profession, went to a staff meeting of a major corporation, and the VP comes in and says, you know, we're going to do some promotions today, gave everybody in the room non-black a promotion except the one black who was considered a major player and then the one other person who didn't get it was a gentleman that they really didn't care that much evidently for and so it was like it's okay that she, she didn't get the promotion because, see, he didn't get it either. Mm -hmm. But every other one got it. But he was like the one that was left to say, uh, see, we're not racist because we didn't give him one either. Uh, and she was supposed to smile and feel good. And uh, so this person called me. And was in tears and said, but in the meeting, I sat there and acted as though I didn't see what was going on because I was just blown away that this happened right in front of my face and, um, and was able at some point to tell the VP how it felt having to sit there while this happened. And the VP said, Oh, I'm so sorry. I wasn't aware you felt that way. You knew what you were doing when you did it. And so, you know, in this life, when you are quote unquote leader, you end up, uh, or leader of influence, I guess you should say, you end up listening to so many people who have been treated this way and discouraged on so many levels. Uh, and yet they they continue to to move forward, knowing that there's this disparity in how they're being treated. I feel like you put the mirror up, and it was all about me. <laughs> so yeah. Like yeah, yeah. Oh gosh. Um, hope um and it's 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 funny because um the two conversations that you had 
with Miss Moon and then with Mr. Joe. And you brought up hope for both of them. What does hope look like in this community? So I want to hear what Miss um, Moon has to, to say when it comes to hope for this community or just for community as a whole. I spend a lot of time praying. Daddy, what is your hope for our community in the future? I'd like to see, uh, just like Martin Luther King said, when we can all join hand, hands and say, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. And we can be together, and I don't mean just just not not marching out there in the streets, but that this country can be we can be on one page. But here we are. When you look at the president, and he's he's having all these meetings, and we know that the COVID is really rampant and, and killing people in the Hispanic community, in the black community, and he's got all these Hispanic people here, no masks, no social distancing. It's it's almost sinful. Like I said, the leadership of this country, it's, it's, it's almost, it's sad that they're expecting us to go to the polls and vote. We go to the polls and we vote. And we still don't have any power. It's, it's, it's a sad day. What do you think about the leadership in the Benton Harbor community? <laughs> That's a whole horse with another coat. It's, it's. <laughs> And I, 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 I don't know how people get to be leaders. And when you, when, how can you be a politician when you don't know politics? How can you lead me? How can I be a nurse if I've never been trained to be a nurse? How can, I mean, it, it's okay, I guess, what Florence Nightingale and them did, but that doesn't work today. Mm -hmm. We've got to have people that have some knowledge and some education, been educated in politics, so to have, have some real knowledge of what's going on. I mean, most of the people I see, and you could ask them, and I am, I mean, I might get in trouble for saying this, but at my age, it really cares. Uh, <laughs> so anyhow, if you would ask most, most people that call themselves in, in leadership in the city about the three branches of government, they wouldn't even know. So how can you govern when you don't know what the government is about? Well, I've taken up enough time. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true, though. Uh I think on a national level, it's the administ the current administration. Um, and listening to Mr. Moon is like listening to my mom talk when it talks about the current administration. <laughs> I'm just like, it'll it'll be over soon. It'll be over soon. But that was like a um I feel like in your face of I'm not qualified for this job, but I'm in office and I'm going to employ other people that aren't qualified <laughs> for their jobs because of money, of power, because of power, because a lot of us have talked about power means money. So if you have the money, then you get that position. But there were people in place that 
ruined education or just ruined so many things. And now we're over here like, oh, it's almost over. But then you look at the local level like, hmm, is that going on around here too? When it comes to not only just those Mm -hmm. that are in government, but those that are in, I guess, high positions in organizations and corporations as well. Mm -hmm. Well, also, when she said, I'm of a particular age and I can say what I want, I can't wait to be at that place. I can't wait. (laughs) So what were some big takeaways from the conversation that you had with Miss Moon? Daddy is a person who's not afraid to tell you, you know, her stand on controversial issues. Uh, She's a person who cares deeply about other people. Um, She loves her family, those that are left. Um, She loved those sincerely who you know, who passed away. Um, She has so much yet to give in the way of wisdom to uh, people who need better health care in this community. I would advise anybody just based on on knowing Dottie, I would advise anybody in healthcare to sit down and have a conversation with a person who knows the culture, mm-hmm. knows the healthcare information, mm-hmm. and who knows the the um, the issues that our people, black people, especially face on a day to day basis. But here's the good news. Black and white, Jewish, Indian, whoever you might be, gay, lesbian, they know when they meet Daddy Moon that she is not afraid to share with them what will benefit your life mm-hmm. health-wise. Yeah. She will encourage you spiritually. And she will tell you the truth. If you don't want to know the truth, don't talk to daddy. Mm-hmm. She will tell you from her storehouse of truths, <laughs> you know, how to get along. I, I admire people who have courage and encourage and refuse to discourage Mm -hmm. others from the hopes and dreams that they have to make it. And I I take away uh, so much from daddy. There are times when I've had to call her for family members and say, this is going on, Uh, I'm concerned. She'll get in her car and drive over and give them an exam. Mm -hmm. Necessary, make calls to see that their needs are met. Within strong women of faith, 
women are able to call her or have a family member call her just to get some insight to what's going on with their uh, with their health. And uh, she she doesn't hesitate to be there. She's gone to the doctor. You know, we both have. But I mean, as a nurse, she, she'll go and advocate for them mm-hmm. in the healthcare setting. This is, you know, pre-COVID. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, she has the wherewithal to be able to stand her ground with doctors who are not so kind yeah. <laughs> to patients and to be able to, 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 um, to focus on what's real in that person's life so that they're not pushed aside with, oh, no, that's not important. She would take them to task. Yes, it is important. This is what they're exhibiting. This is what they need. And uh, if you can't do it, then let's see who else. Let me call somebody else higher up so we can get, you know, the help that they need. And I think that's that's something valuable in times like these. Now, Miss Bertha, <laughs> you did the most interviews of all the researchers and boy was it it was a great mix of voices so out of all of those stories that you collected <laughs> what would what was like your motivation or your biggest takeaways or can you even remember because it was a great group of people that you interview, um, but just being a part of this, like, what do you see is to come after this? You know, I was so excited at being able to select people mm-hmm. to interview, uh, at being able to go to their homes or have them come to my house. Uh, being able to hear the 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 oh I, I'm just searching for words to be able to hear the passion mm-hmm. that they that they that they had about uh, their feelings about leadership and about hope and about influences in the community. And the fact that they were pleased that they were being invited to share their feelings, uh, that meant a lot. I would love to be able to hear more people Mm -hmm. be able to talk. Because we always think we know people. But until you (laughs) sit down and really, you know, conversate with them on specific areas of their lives, uh, you you don't really know the depth often that 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 people have, and and the the situations that they're encountering. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get into some of the personal issues that I know many of them face with families as caregivers, mm-hmm. and so many other things that are happening. Uh, because I think it would have really been emotional in many cases. Because how many how many times do people really want to hear what you have to say? Yeah. 
Yeah. You know. Yeah. So there it is. I'd like to see. (laughs) Go ahead. I'd like like to see from this more engagements Mm. with people in the community. You know, sometimes I think I'd like to have a microphone and uh, on a warm, sunny day and just be able to walk down the street and see Miss Essie sitting on the porch and talk to her. Go down the street and see Mr. John. Yeah. You know, out there with, with his rake or he's got oxygen on or whatever. You know, be able to talk to the child that's just sitting there acting as though they don't know anything, but they actually see everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would like to, I would just like to be there before I get too old that I'm one of those people they want to stop and talk to. <laughs> you know, I just, I'm glad to be alive. Mm-hmm. And every time I see the obituaries, I become more, more grateful. Mm-hmm for every day, for every moment. And I, I'm just I'm just praying for people such as the, the nine people that I interviewed uh, to be able to, to reach that moment of of being surrounded by love mm-hmm. and support and appreciation for what they give every day of their lives. When I hear people like Benita Mitchell, who just does so much, when I see people like Dottie Moon, I see people like David Shaw, who uses his barbershop, you know, as a counseling (laughs) center, you know. And when when I look at Michelle Dancer at Harbor Point, who cares about the people in the buildings uh, more than just you know, a job. When I, when I, you know, when I see Jody Priest, who, who has a dinner every summer and invites white, black police, whoever, and they drive up and they eat greens and fried (laughs) chicken and come on now, cornbread and barbecue (laughs) ribs. And if he say he's not going to have it, White and black bring him money and say, here, Joe, you can afford it because here I'm giving you this to make sure it happens. I tell you, when you see that, when you see young men like Terrell Jones, who can sing and who go to the factory and work and who cares about his children, cares about his, his family and and yet he'll go help anybody. Yeah. Especially the elderly. He sits at their feet so he can hear mm. how they made it in order to know that as a young father, as a young grandfather, he can make it. When you when you when you hear young women like Kena King, who's not afraid to say, I've been in the valley. Mm-hmm. Of, of so much chaos, but one day I came out. And when I came out, I was blessed beyond measure. And now I can give so much. 
And I can understand where people are coming from in order to be able to make a difference in their lives. I'm telling you, when you get through walking with people like that and talking to people like that, you not only talk your talk, you walk your walk. Mm -hmm. You become greatness, you know, on your way to your destiny. And I just encourage everybody to know that you can be better rather than bitter. You can, you can have a, a better life than where you started from. I know that because I'm one of those little black welfare children <laughs> that didn't have enough to eat back then. But if you look at me now, you can tell I've been eating very good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's, that's what says it more than anything is that I'm not better than anybody. Mm-hmm. But I ought to make people feel better. And maybe anybody else has made them feel because whatever you get, whatever comes your way, it's meant for you to pass it on to somebody else. That's how we influence. (laughs) So you heard it here first. We need to have more stories. It's official. We just need to go get more stories. <laughs> we need to get more stories because we want, at the end of the day, we want a healthier, happier community. Yes. And yes. Um, I really think it starts with sharing these stories of how we can, how, of hearing from the people of how we can do better. So it's your homegirl, Ronika. And if you've been rocking with this series the whole time, then you know that I'm the host of the Please Do Tell podcast. And in this special series, Everyday People of the 49022, we'll be wrapping up in the next couple of weeks. But I wanted to stop and say thank you. Thank you for your support this far. And we hope to um, really do a recap, especially at Facebook Live. And you'll be able to hopefully talk to everyone that's been a part of this project. But I did want to point out that we did squeeze in another episode with Ms. Bertha because it was so important that you hear from Mrs. Dottie Moon. She's been very influential in my life and so many others, especially um, being a nurse in the hospital for over um, 25 to 30 years. So It was very important to have her be a part of this series. And next week, for real, we'll be talking to um, Larry Carter and around the same topic of influence, power, and leadership. So we will definitely see you next week. And once again, thank you for all of your support. See you then. Oh, and tell a friend. (laughs) See you later.